We are um, privileged that we can invite you back to worship God uh, as we come to understand it in His Word and that He would sanctify us in the truth and His Word is true. Having said that, then if you will um, join me in John 14. Uh, we're helping our young people to memorize this. hope you're working with your young people, uh, your young ones at home. Uh, and we want to say this together. John 14, verses 1 through 6. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the light. No one comes to the Father but through me. Very helpful. I also want to thank you for being here on Time Change. This one's the difficult one. Okay, I never forget, oh, several years ago, we got through with worship. I walked back out to the back, and somebody was coming up the steps, and I opened the door, and I said, hey, what you doing here? He said, well, I came to worship. I said, hour later. Remember? Hour later. And he turned around and walked back out to his car, shaking his head. But I thought I did that. So thank you for making the time change and being here. And, uh, and there are those who are uh, not with us because of various reasons. Uh, Raj is at home recuperating. Danny Stewart is at home uh, still recuperating. And uh, so Danny said specifically said, please say thank you to everyone for their prayers, the calls, the food. Uh, he said it's, uh, it's more difficult recovering than he thought. And um, so please continue to pray for him. And so I want to pray for Danny as well. Uh, and we want to pray for Shorty as he continues to heal. And I uh, want to pray for, uh, for Mark as he approaches surgery. Thank you for praying for Essie. Uh, there's just a lot of things going on. And there's a whole bunch of people who are just home feeling lousy. Kind of thing. Uh, so there's a lot of things going on. And thank you for being here. Let me tell you why. A lot of people feel at home feeling lousy probably don't need to be here because they would cough and spew all over us. And we don't want that. There are a lot of people who are having surgeries and recovering from that. And we understand you know, the hospitals and that there are also this time change thing just really wreaks havoc with your kiddos. You know what I mean? Uh, they've got to get up a whole hour and make that adjustment and it's hard on them. They don't understand that. The animals don't understand that. Quite frankly, I don't understand that, but you know, it doesn't matter. You know, kind of thing. Whatever happens, happens and we'll make the adjustment. So thank you for being here today at this time to worship God. Let's talk about something this morning in Exodus chapter 20. The preacher knew that he was uh, he had made a mistake by agreeing to counsel Mrs. Smith when she introduced herself in their first session because she opened it up this way. She said, I want to thank you for seeing me, especially since my husband said he'd kill anybody who, that we talked to about our marriage. And I, he said, I think I'm in the wrong place. So that leads us to Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. And sometimes this is ground where um, the preacher stops preaching and starts meddling. But it's also a place that we need to address in our day and age. Like I said before, there are some things that we need to say as church and as Christian um, that the world needs to hear. And one of those things that it needs to hear is that God has certain rules to live by. They're there for a reason. They're there for a purpose. Why did God make these rules for us to live by? Because when we follow them, 
we come into alignment with how our Creator designed us to live. God designed us when we marry to be faithful. If you go to a wedding and you hear these words in Genesis chapter 2, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother. Have you heard these words? Right? A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. There is no shame in marriage. There is no shame. Uh, But that implies that there would be in something other than marriage. So, but that because of that, disobedience causes us to live outside of God's design for his creation. God designed the man and the woman to be married and to know no shame in that. Secondly, God's law is given to protect and provide for us. When we talk about infidelity, that's that $10 word for having sex outside of marriage. Infidelity creates shame, guilt, regret, unforgiveness, abuse, and the results of living outside of God's design. When we live from His commands, we receive the benefits of security, peace, health, Assurance, hope, joy, and blessing. If you look at Psalm 19 and verse 7, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. I think the point I want to make at this, at, at this point in the sermon is that God created marriage to be a blessing. He created it so that we would know something of that revived soul. There are too many souls right now that are living in darkness. So many that are depressed. So many that are uh, seem helpless and hopeless. And part of that is because of, of things that they're going through. I understand. But part of that sometimes is because we're not lifting up and living by the rules that God gave us. The problem, as we've studied past weeks, is that when, when our God becomes the dark desires inside of our hearts, then we do wrong things. That's called covetousness there in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 17. It causes us to look at things differently. And according to Colossians 3 and verse 5, it is idolatry. In other words, our own dark thoughts, our own desires inside of us replace God. It leads us to worship ourselves by doing such things as Exodus 20 verse 16, lying, stealing, Exodus 20 verse 15. And today we're going to look at Exodus 20 and verse 14, we look at adultery. The sad thing in all of this is how far it removes us at this point from God. Look at Exodus 20 and verse 3, where God says, You shall have no other gods before me or in place of me. I read a guy named Ross Rhodes recently. He had an interesting thought. He said, We all know how word association works. I say a word, and you, you, come, you say the first thing that comes to your mind. So when I say the word adultery, what comes to your mind? Well, sex, divorce, devastation, sin. Some have told me it's like a death. The word I heard repeated most when I do that is heartbreak. Few sins ignite the rush of emotion, anger, resentment, and permanent hurt, as does the betrayal of adultery. Now, I want to start in a good place, I want to go to the bad place, and I want to talk about what we need to do. I think that's only fair. Let's start in the good place. This is sort of a, a marriage primer, if you will, a refresher course for some of us. Let's start in the good place. Let's start at holy matrimony. What are we talking about when we talk about, call it the sanctity or holiness of being married or matrimony? When God talks about 
his relationship with us. Okay? He talks about it in, in word pictures. And one of those word pictures that he talks about is that the church of Jesus Christ is his bride. When God talks about his relationship with Israel in the Old Testament, when they are unfaithful to him, he calls it adultery. So when we're talking about a man and a woman sharing life together in marriage, we're talking about something that is holy and that is a union. So that's why it's called holy matrimony. The sanctity of being married. Or the temple of devotion to your life partner. In Proverbs 5, verses 18 and 19, it says it this way. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breast fill you at all times with delight, be intoxicated always in her love. Sean Illing did an excellent interview entitled Advice from a Divorce Lawyer. It was, it was the, the title caught my attention. The guy's name is James Sexton, who has spent nearly 20 years handling basically every conceivable divorce scenario. Illing asks him, he says, what's your advice to people who are thinking about getting married? And it's an important question to ask. The guy responds wisely, and, and look at what he says, and I think you'll find that he, he lines it up. If we, if we line it up, the scripture speaks to it as well. First of all, take marriage seriously. Okay? He said, the simplest advice that I can give to people is to look at it like the purchase of a car. Because I think sometimes people give more thought to the purchase of a car than they do to the decision to get married. At the risk of sounding unromantic, I think you have to look at a person and say, okay, is this a person who's going to make sense at all different phases of this journey that I'm on? Because my life is going to change. I'm going to change. What's important to me is going to change. Is this a person who can change with me so that we end up moving in the same direction? It's an important question, isn't it? Proverbs 18 and verse 22 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Next, what is the worry that marriage solves for me? Ask yourself that. What is the worry that marriage solves for me? Too many people just fall into marriage because that, they think that's what people do at a certain age. Rather than seriously asking themselves if it's a good idea for them. Will it improve our relationship or our life? Are we trying to solve the problem of loneliness? You can be married and still be quite lonely. Is it a problem of not having sex? Being married is more than a guarantee of having lots of sex. And it's no more a guarantee than sitting in a restaurant is a guarantee that you're going to be well fed. Just, you know, sometimes the answer is not the question. 1 Corinthians 7 verses 36 through 38 says, If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, that his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes, let them marry, it is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart being under no necessity, but having his desire under control and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Next thing to consider is to take care of resentments with accountability and forgiveness. Take care of resentments with accountability and forgiveness. <clears throat> You're back in the day... You know, before we had all these modern cars. Remember the, your battery cables would corrode? Remember that? It would build up around the battery cable and it would, it would cause the connection to, to short out. 
So every once in a while you have to take the battery cables off and clean them out and kind of thing and do all that. How many of you have ever poured a Coke on your battery? Right? The dissolve, the, okay. the corrosion. Right? Resentments are like corrosion. They build up little bits at a time, over and over and over. All right. And so you have to go back and you have to clean that out every once in a while. It's all those seemingly little choices that over time uh, corrode up into massive problems. Those tiny discourtesies, that annoyed look on your face, that time you ignored your partner when they needed you, all those times you couldn't bother to give that person your full attention. These are the small things that become big things over time. In a marriage, you need to call out those little things immediately, in the moment. Always address them right now. If you don't do that, if you let those resentments grow, those raindrops become a river that become a flood and soon it's too late to put everything back together again. Ephesians 4, verses 26 and 27 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Above all, stay connected. We're going to do this marriage thing the way God intended it, stay connected. We really do want to love people. And we want to love that special person in our life. And we want to be loved by them. But it's easy to get off track. Look, we live in a world that's antagonistic to marriages. And there are a million different things that limit your access to your spouse's attention. And if you don't do the work of constantly checking in, of keeping that connection, you'll lose it. That's <coughs> what I tell young people all the time. If you don't work at your marriage, your marriage won't work for you. Now, if you want to keep your love alive, you have to be attentive to all those little things. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4-7 through 7, puts it pretty simply. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, that's the good news. Okay? Do all those things and and, and more, and, and, and the thing is that if you work at that marriage, it works for you. Now, let's go to the not good place. Let's go to adultery. Right? Literally, the, the word means having sexual relations outside of the marriage bond. Figuratively, as I've told you before, the word picture is it's a holy union okay, between God and His people, between Christ and His church, between a man and a woman when they share life together. It's figuratively a holy union. And so when the word adultery appears in the Old Testament in those ways and, and in the New Testament when they bring it over, it means to abandon what you believe and to revolt against your faith. That was King David's sin when he saw Bathsheba bathing in 1 Samuel 11. Coveting encourages the mind and heart to desire what another person has. Adultery is a direct contradiction and violation of a lifelong marriage covenant. The commandment forbids sexual intercourse outside of marriage. Adultery is a sin of huge proportion. But Jesus taught a deeper law affecting the heart. It's not just that you're not unfaithful. He says it's what you're thinking in your heart. In Matthew 5 and verse 28 it says, But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. What does that mean? 
Because when you're talking about adultery, I think we understand. I don't want to be unfaithful to my spouse. But what does that mean if you lust some, uh, after someone you've already committed adultery? Let's look at it this way. It's the little things that we allow. Adultery has its origins in a succession of smaller choices that people make that take them further and further away from each other to the point where those small things no longer feel quite so small. Everyone, when they get married, starts off with the same destination in mind. We want to live, what? Happily ever after, right? No one ever gets married with the intention of committing adultery or getting divorced. You don't say, hey, you know, will you take this person to be your lawfully wedded wife? Yes, for three and a half years, and then I'm going to commit adultery. All right, All right. so preacher, pray and let's go. No one ever starts out like that. No one ever wants that to happen. I think that's how marriages end. Very slowly, and then all at once. The question is, can we stop the little things that take us further away from each other before it's too late? Jesus puts it this way in Luke chapter 11. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. Divorce lawyers consistently point to, pay attention here. Divorce lawyers consistently point to social media, Facebook, as an infidelity generating machine. That's their words, not mine. I looked across the board when I was doing this and every one of them, to the person, would point to, it's a huge factor and it's getting worse every day. One lawyer put it this way, I can't remember the last time I had a case where social media was not either a root cause or implicated in some way. And it's always the same story. People maintaining affairs via social media or communicating with people they don't have any business communicating with. Infidelity, he goes on to say, is so easy now, and it's poisoning marriages. Facebook creates those plausibly deniable reasons for you to be connecting with people emotionally in ways that are toxic to your marriage. And people are using social media when they're bored or they're vulnerable or they're in transition in their life, not when they're having a wonderful time with their spouse and enjoying life. The fact that you're sitting in a restaurant looking at your Facebook and you're sitting across from your husband, that's a danger sign. The fact that you would rather be sitting at home watching TV, not talking to each other, while you're checking your social media, while your wife sits there doing hers, is a danger sign. It's the little things that drive you apart. It's the little things that we neglect while we're doing all that, while we're on that phone. While we're doing all that, it's the little things. Common courtesies, romantic gestures, maintaining physical intimacy that are so important. There are lots of reasons why people disconnect from each other emotionally and physically. You meet somebody, you're dating them, and when you're doing that, you're throwing your best stuff at them, right? Okay, you dress up, you clean up, you know, you shave, whatever kind of thing. And, and then you know, you're going to take them someplace nice, you're going to create conversation, and all of a sudden you get married and that quits. You don't shave anymore. You don't do the little things anymore. You don't talk anymore. Why? Well, we're married. Really? That's the reason to quit? And if you're a conscientious person, you learn what things your partner likes and you keep doing them. And you keep doing them. And you keep doing them. For years. It's like I told you, when you stop working in your marriage, your marriage stops working for you. 
Don't believe the old joke about the old man who told his wife when she says, you don't ever tell me you love me anymore. The old man looks at her and says, the day we married, I told you I loved you. And if I change my mind, I'll let you know. It didn't work for him. Trust me. And it won't work for you. Ecclesiastes 9 verses 9 and 10 says, enjoy life with the, enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. The context basically says, you've got this life. It's a life. Okay? It's not going to accomplish everything you want it to, but then again, it's going to have its pleasures. It's going to have its moments. Part of that is, enjoy the wife that is in your life. Because that's one of the pleasures. Everything else, you're going to have to get up and go to work every day. You're going to have to pay the bills. You're going to have to breathe in, breathe out. You're going to have to do a lot of things. But at its basic thing is that he says one of the joys in your life is your spouse. Take joy in that. Let's determine not to do the adultery thing and to avoid it. Let me give you a couple of things to think about. Adultery damages nearly every relationship around it. It's just not against the other person. It's their family. It's your family. It's every all their friends. It's the community. Everything. So let's help each other and stay committed to our marriages. Let me give you four things. First of all, use discretion. Discretion. Am I allowing a relationship in my personal life to weaken or to damage my marriage, to, to distract me from what's really important? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3 says, This is the will of God, your sanctification, your holiness, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Second, discipline. The media's sexual bombardment is incessant. What I am reading, what I am viewing, what am I listening to? Job says in Job 31 and verse 1, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? If it starts with what I'm looking at, then it needs to be that I'm looking at the right things. Devotion is the third thing. Since we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, according to 2 Peter 3, verse 18, are you stronger today as a, as a follower of Christ than you were a year ago? And can others see that change? And if you're saying, look, I'm just treading water here. You need to grow. You need to grow up. You need to be productive. All right? And that needs to show. And it happens that it will bless your marriage as well. The fourth thing is a desire. What do you really want in life? Sexual temptation is when a person, James chapter 1 and verse 14 says, is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. We have to be fully committed to doing what pleases God. Let's restore hope. Let's end in John chapter 8 and verse 11. John 8 and verse 11, there's a woman taken in adultery. And they dragged her out of there and they, they dragged her into the, into the temple courts and they dragged her before Jesus. And Jesus says, you know, let he is who without sin cast the first stone and they all walk off. And the woman stands there and Jesus stands up and says, 8 and verse 10, he stands up and says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Verse 11, she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on sin no more. He's not, con- he's not condoning adultery. That's not what he's doing there. What she did was grievously wrong. But he refuses to condemn her according to the law. 
because of a lack of witnesses. But he goes to the heart of it by saying, stop it. Stop it. And I think the same is true today. Stop it. Stop what's going on in your heart that would lead to that which would destroy a marriage. Stop it. Let's be practical. When you talk to someone, look at them in the eye instead of ogling what they have on display. Stop flirting on Facebook. Stop peeking at internet pornography. Quit bad-mouthing your spouse to others. Start seeing your mate as your companion, your lover, your friend. Do the romantic things that they like. Respect their needs and limitations. Put them as a priority just below God as a witness to your fidelity or your faithfulness to both God and your mate. There. Is that practical enough? A married couple had a quarrel and they ended up giving each other the silent treatment. I know y'all have never done that. Get mad at each other, not talk to each other. But he had an important thing to do. He had an important flight to catch the next morning. And not being the one to, to want to break the silence, he left a note on her pillow. He says, please wake me up at 5 a.m. I have a flight for, for, for work tomorrow. The next morning he wakes up, looks at the clock, and it's 9 o'clock. He's already missed his flight. It's done. You know, he wakes up. He's fixing to walk downstairs and really give it to her because she didn't wake him up. When he notices a, a, a note on his pillow, it's 5 a.m., time to wake up. I think that's what this sermon's all about. I think that's what God's Word is telling our society today. Wake up. And maybe we don't need to just write it to them anymore. Maybe we need to tell them. We need to break the silence and tell people it's okay to be married, it's okay to be faithful, and it's okay to show what God can do in a married couple's life when He's at the center of that relationship. And that's God's invitation this morning, isn't it? Is that we give our lives fully to Him and let that bless everything around us, including our marriages. If you're here this morning, you want to give your life to Jesus Christ. If you want to be baptized to repent of sin, if we can help you in some way. Would you come to the front and make your need known as together we stand and as we sing.